Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Mark chapter 14. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason, these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah, and others said, it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, who I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because Herod had married her, for John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed and yet liked uh, to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? She replied, the head of John the baptizer. Immediately, she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once uh, the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, and yet, out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid him in the tomb. This is the word of the Lord. Sometimes when you say thanks be to God after a scripture that that's odd, you wonder, what will the preacher say about this? Thanks be to God is right. My name is Jason Smith, and I'm one of your pastors. And what about... 21 years ago, I came to this church as an intern, and there was a pastor named Steve Green who called me to be a a senior-level intern when I was a senior in college. And it's been an amazing 21 years that you've received me, and that pastor told me when I was his intern, just stay at a church, and stay there as long as they'll love you. And here 21 years later, my main mentor is going to be our preacher this morning, Pastor Steve Green, Dr. Steve Green, um, I've called you, always called you pastor, not doctor. Pastor Steve has been our pastor and our mentor, the main mentor of myself and our senior pastor, John Middendorf. Pastor John and his family will be returning from vacation today, and the word is in great hands. Because I know that my mentor and one of your favorite pastors, pastored here for eight years, has spent this week studying and praying and seeing, what does God have for us as a body today out of this scripture? And as I look out there and see his row of grandkids, I know he's got a favorite row today. And I'm guessing as he prayed and as he thought, he maybe have thought, I wonder what these kids who are my grandchildren will think about their pop-pop. Is that right? What will their pop think? What will their pop say? And so the word of the Lord is for all of us today, but especially for you grandkids on that special row back there. Let me offer a prayer. And then after I pray, seems odd, but would you give a round of applause for this man after I say amen who comes up, who's given his life 
for these scriptures, and he's given his, these moments to share what God has on his heart today. So let's pray. Jesus, it's in these moments we would ask that you would bless our pastor and that you would lead him by your spirit to speak words to us of grace and truth. May he take this odd passage and by your spirit bring us life, hope, and a sense of grace in your gospel. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, it is a joy to have uh, an opportunity to open the scripture. Let me uh, get myself situated. They asked if I would uh, want the little deal around my head. And, that, I, you know, I used to like stuff like that. But when you hear, wear hearing aids, uh, it pretty much eliminates the ability to put something around your head. Uh, but it is a joy to be here with you. What in the world do you do with the beheading of John the Baptist? No wonder John went on vacation. Well, I want to say a couple things uh, today, and, and hopefully, as I lead you through uh, a variety of ways of coming to grips with this text, we will eventually hear the good news. That, that's the goal. The good news of the gospel is what it amounts to. Uh, we will eventually hear the good news. Uh, but before we get to the good news, there's a whole lot of bad news. I mean, how can you have a beheading and not call it bad news, right? And, and the question that jumped from the pages to me as I studied and thought and reflected, and Pastor was good to me, by the way. He when he asked me a few weeks ago if I would preach, um, he said, you can preach anything you want. You don't have to stay with the series. And, uh, and I said, well, I've, I've looked at the lectionary text for today, and it is rather strange text uh, to jump at us. But the, but the question that just almost is haunting is why did John the Baptist think that Jesus was John, why did, why did Herod think that Jesus was the resurrected John the Baptist? And, and that question is one that I want to work with. And for some of you, uh, right, some of the you attorneys that know it's very difficult to prove intent uh, because you can't get inside the brain or the mind of someone, uh, or for some of you who are trained in psychology, uh, I realize I can never know what was in Herod's mind. I just flat can't know. But what you and I can know is the way the Gospel of Mark is designed and how this story is used by Mark. Now, that we could know. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, John the Baptist was killed and John the Baptist was killed by Herod. And not just the gospel say that, but extra biblical sources tell us that. So it's not just a, a fanciful horror story. <coughs> you also need to hear me say, Herod was awful. He came from an awful family. He extended that awful family to the next generation. 
Herod was awful. If this episode was at the movie theater, the best rating that you could possibly give it would be R. It's got worst ratings possibilities. There's an erotic dance. There is a torture and murder. There is deception. This man was awful. And yet this man recognized a truthfulness. So with that, I invite you to come along with me and begin to look at possibly what in the world the writer of the Gospel of Mark was trying for us to understand. Jason, a couple weeks ago, uh, preached a wonderful sermon on, uh, and, and he, he talked about the sower sowing lavishly. And there is no doubt when Mark constructed his gospel, he was about telling us about the great sower. And the great sower is God. In fact, he will start this gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by verse 14, he calls that gospel the gospel of God. There is a sower who has been sowing, not just in Jesus, though uniquely in Jesus, but this sower has been sowing for a long, long time. In fact, to use the language of the opening chapters of Genesis and John Steinbeck, who I am a like crazy fan of, uh, he has been sowing since humanity started moving east of Eden. Because east of Eden, humanity started blaming one another, excusing themselves, killing brothers, having revenge like Lamech 70 times 7, breaching the barriers of creation wherein a horrific event happened, deciding that for their own good they needed to gather together. And yet, the closer they tried to get together for security, sadly, the more they misunderstood each other. So East of Eden's a tough place. And I, I want to say something to you. You and I, we live East of Eden. Now you say, well, not me. <laughs> I have returned to the garden. No, you haven't quite yet. We live east of Eden. Now, with that being said, John is an integral part of this gospel that is going to be preached by Jesus. John starts it out. He proclaims the truth that other prophets, we hear it here, right? Other prophets have preached. Elijah had preached. John is now preaching, and by the way, now Jesus picks it up and begins to preach. And so what is it that we hear besides this good, gleeful, glad tidings of God's grace and God's kingdom? Well, John is a part of the tragedy of the way this word has been received. Let's talk about that for a second. In chapter 4, what we have is a rhetorical tool that Mark uses. 
It's the parable of the soils. And you say, well, how do you know this? Well, you know, I, I was Jason's teacher in, honestly, quite a few of yours, to be really frank about it. Uh, I, I, I might have been a teacher. I had a teacher long ago and far away. And in my second year at Vanderbilt, doing my doctoral program, uh, I, 41 years ago, can you believe that? I, I tried to count the days off. Do I look like, I don't look that old, do I? Well, I know I've got a few lumps, but I call that COVID that did all of that to me, right? In fact, today, I didn't even know how to dress. I mean, I basically have been shorts and T-shirts, sweatpants and sweatshirts for the last year. Wow. Anyway, I had a most incredible teacher. Her name was Marianne Tolbert. Marianne wrote a book after my days uh, with her called Sowing the Gospel. It was on Mark. And what Marianne does is she uses rhetorical criticism, something that actually I learned back in the day and still use. And that rhetorical criticism says, how do certain rhetorical or literary devices function so that we can understand what's going on in any kind of language system or passage? She uniquely did it with Mark. And for Mark, the parable of the soils is not only a parable, and it surely is, about the lavish, lavish, lavish sowing of the good news of the gospel of the kingdom, but it is also a parable that talks about how people, now my phrase, who lived east of Eden, respond to that good, gleeful, gracious word. You remember that parable has four different types of soils. You've got the good soil, right? And I won't even talk about the good soil. It's just good, right? Everything grows there. But then you have three other soils. You have the soil that is falling the seed on the way. And by that, what Marianne does masterfully is she shows rhetorically what Mark's gospel is attempting to do. Who are these people who do not even have a chance because the birds come, grab that seed of the good, gleeful, gracious kingdom word of God? Well, those are the people, and it's obvious, who always reject everything that Jesus says and does. Now you say, well, Steve, who are those people? They're people like us. They're the very, 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 very religious people. They are Sadducees and they are Pharisees. And why they reject it is because it does not fit their narrative world. It does not fit their value system. And it's not that they deliberately reject it. You see, they go so far as to believe that Jesus did everything he did by the power of Beelzebub. Is that amazing? They then conspire to kill him. Why? Because he is challenging 
not just our secular, hedonistic way of life. He is challenging our very religious values. And so they conspire to kill him. They also go into, I'll use now a word from my childhood, cahoots. They go into cahoots with the empire. They use the politics of the day. They want Caesar and Caesar's pawns to do for them, to protect for them their values. They want to protect God. That's what they're trying to do. And so, what do they end up doing? Joining forces with Pilate. They crucify God in order to protect God. Now, it really doesn't take a quiz kid to put your analogies together today, does it? I'll just let that drop. There was another group of people. They were the rocky soil. Really what rocky soil just means is shallow. They were shallow. They were like a teacup. And there is this one rhetorical phrase that constantly goes through all of Mark. It's, it's the Greek word, euthus, 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 euthus. It just means immediately. And there is one group of people that do everything immediately. And they are called disciples. A great group, right? If you want to identify with the disciples in Mark's gospel, you're not identifying with the best crowd. What was wrong with them? Oh, they received this word of the kingdom quickly. But as soon as any opposition happened, they faded. Was it because they weren't sincere? No, not at all. You see, they had a very different expectation, a very different expectation of what this kingdom would be. And you can see it everywhere, right? One wanted to be on the right. One wanted to be on the left. One wanted to be the greatest, right? And they, what they did not understand at all. How can I say that? What I don't understand at all is that the last are first. Not just, okay, I'll stand at the back of the line and then someday, good, sweet Jesus will say, Stevie, come on, come on to the front. You get to be in the front. You see, the very values of this kingdom are upside down. They are upside down. The last really are first. And if you're last in this life, good for you. You'll get to be last in the next. That's the values. If you are great in this life, <laughs> I don't know what the next looks like, but I do know this, that it's all upside down and it's only then possible that we can turn the other cheek and we can walk the extra mile, we can give the undergarment, and we can actually love enemies. They misunderstood it completely. 
And because of that, they faded. This is not good news yet, right? Now, but the truth is, what this is, is the judgment of grace. Grace is not warm and fuzzy. Grace is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Grace is not something to just tickle you. Grace is truth. It's the way reality works. It's the way the Creator has intended for reality to work. And Jesus comes in a long line of people speaking this gracious truth of life to us. Well, now we get to the third group. The third group are the thorny group, right? Elaine has a little garden. It's a beautiful little garden. It's the cutest little thing. It, it reminds me, honestly, of all of those Lord of the Ring deals, you know, with the little munchkin people uh, and their little houses. It's the cutest thing you've ever seen with the little fences. But that thing has a lot of weeds in it. And I mean, about the time she pulls a weed, another one comes. She's always weeding the garden. The, the reason for that is because weeds choke stuff out. Now, in Mark's gospel, and now I'm going to use Marianne completely here, she says there are only three characters that are thorny. See, we use our teachers sometimes. There are only three people that are thorny. One is Pilate. And what it means to be thorny, and this is the reason that they are the worst, they know the truth, and they're duplicit. They know the truth, and they back away from it. Now you say, well, what about that other group, that, that hard group? Did they know the truth? No, they didn't really know the truth. They're like all people trying to protect their values, whether that's radical Islam, right? That's what they're doing, not just picking on a bunch of folk like us. Or what's going on today in our world? They believe it. It's their world. But this group knows the truth. The second, he's about midway through this gospel, is the one that we call the rich young ruler. Mark just calls him the rich guy. He knows the truth. He's religious as he can be. He's kept all the commandments from the time he was young. He's a good guy, I guess. Except he knows the truth, and he backs out. The first in the series is Herod. He's awful. I mean, he's the kind of guy, if it was a movie, and they didn't shoot him at the end, you would be terribly disappointed. Right? You know what kind of movies I'm talking about. I mean, he's the kind of guy that if it's one of those westerns, <coughs> You want Clint Eastwood riding in. Or if it's a cop show, you want him to say, and this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the whole world. Are you feeling lucky? Make my day. Right? 
And when he blows that guy away, you just feel so right. You see, that's Herod. But Herod also knew the truth. And he was compromised. And what compromises all of those people, all of them, is public opinion. Not being able around the people that matter to get things done the way you want to get things done. So who are those people today? Well, that's clear. It's a great group of politicians today. All you have to do is watch the clips of what people say at one time and then what they say later. Right? You say, well, Steve, you're not supposed to talk about that. You're not voting on me anymore. (laughs) And I'm close to retirement from the university. To use Clint Eastwood's words, go ahead, make my day. Let's just talk truth for a second. Our politicians in mass are so duplicit, it's unbelievable. They are nauseating. Are they the only group? No, they're not. You see, some of us who were pastors, me included, we didn't tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. And what I meant by that, what I mean by that, and, and if there's any folk that's going to be listening to this from all the churches I've pastored, I am sorry I didn't tell you the whole truth. Because sometimes you said stuff so lame brain and so anti-gospel, and I just heed and hauled and hummed about it. And that is the reason that the church in North America right now is in deep trouble. And so I am as culpable. Why? I wouldn't want people to not like me. I want people to love me. I didn't want people to leave my church. So if I did that while I was your pastor, I am really sorry. I am really sorry. You say, everything you've said so far, Steve, is about the judgment. Yeah, it is the judgment of grace. Because when grace comes upon the scene, it is always true. It is always true. It's not just some kind of salve. It's not a Band-Aid. It's not, oh, let's help persons cope with their stuff. It is revealing our stuff. Am I making any sense to you? And so it's the judgment of grace. Now you said, you promised there would be good news in this. What is it? Well, let's go back and ask the question again. Why did Herod believe that the very person of Jesus was John the Baptist. 
Because the sower wasn't through sowing, even with Herod. Grace continued to come to even Herod, a monster of a man who cut the head of a man that he knew was righteous off. Grace continued to come. Grace is always coming to the hard heads, to the shallow, to the weedy, to us. We are probably saying, well, what do I need to do? How do I, how do I make myself better? <laughs> well, what you don't do is try to make yourself somehow good ground. Here's what you do with the judgment of grace. You receive it. And you find out that in the judgment of grace, there is grace. There is grace. There is grace that not only forgives, but there is grace that transforms. There is grace. There is grace. There is grace. In just a moment, we're going to receive the Eucharist. For a long time here, we have said, and I will say it again, if you know you need Jesus, you are welcome to receive him. You are welcome to receive him. There is grace. It is transforming. It is grace. You say, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know how I've compromised at work. You don't know this. I know I don't know. It doesn't matter that I don't know. But you know. And God knows. And what the table is is for all. We think about the opening night. The table included Judas, and the table included Peter, and the table included the rest of them who abandoned him. There's room for you, and there is room for me. In just a moment, uh, we will take these and lift these up and bless them and believe that this little styrofoam kind of crackery thing. <laughs> we can't believe it tastes good, but what we can't believe is that God transforms all of this into a very means of that grace. So if you haven't received, we're kind of passing these out right now. Would you just raise your hand if you haven't received a cup and bread? I think we, we have some here, we have some here. All right. Has everybody received? I don't believe in magic at all. But I believe profoundly in grace and spirit. And what that means is that 
I am convinced that God does something when we bless this bread and cup. God makes it a means of grace for us. For some of us, strength for the journey. For others, forgiveness and newness and hope. For some, just a transformation that is needed from this week to the next. So I would like for you to hold this up, if you would, with me. And I want to pray a prayer of blessing, and then we'll proceed and take this together. Almighty God, your judgment of grace, it scares us sometimes. But we believe that it is always of grace. And so we ask today that the broken body that was broken by brutes and the poured out blood that was absolutely gashed by monsters would become for us a means of grace today. And that you would do in us what we cannot do in ourselves, but that you would make us instruments of your peace, advocates of your kingdom, and its citizens. And so take bread and cup and transform them by your grace. It was on the night that Jesus was betrayed. And he took the bread and he redefined it as his broken body. He said, as often as we eat this, we should eat it in remembrance of him. Would you break the bread with me and let us eat together? that same night he took the cup he blessed it sanctified it and he called it something that is a marvel he called it the very new covenant that was in his blood and so I invite you now to drink of this cup with me I'm going to pray prayer of confession for us and then Jason will come and lead us in the rest of our prayer most merciful God we confess that we have sinned against you in thought word and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone we have not loved you with our whole heart and we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. And now receive back. May the Almighty God have mercy on you and forgive you all of your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen you in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit keep you to eternal life.
And now would you just continue in these sweet moments of prayer as we move towards prayers of intercession. As I pray for some of our folks and some of our saints who are going to be asking for God's healing touch in their lives. And so, Lord, we do take a few moments in prayer in these moments and ask for your touch upon those that we love. And so, God, we lift our friend J.R. Imrich, who's recovering this week from a hip replacement surgery. Lord, would you make J.R. feel all new and a life free from pain? And Lord, get him back to the ranch and hunting as soon as he can, hopefully by this fall. Would you be with Susan as she loves and cares and nurses J.R. back to health? Lord, I ask that you would come alongside our good friend, Kristen Caldall. Kristen always watches every week online, and Kristen, as she's had some good news this week, ask God that you would continue to come alongside her and bring her a sense that you are with her and you love her and give her a sense of healing and hope. God, we ask that you would be with our good friend, Angela Adams, who's able to return home from the hospital this week to live with her Aunt Joyce as she continues to recover from this bone marrow transplant. God, we ask that you would allow this to provide healing for her leukemia and that God, she would sense that you are with her in such a significant and really special way. God, we ask that you would continue to be with Teresa Veach who continues, God, to be able to be helped by you in every way of her life. But as Teresa's watching at home, God, we ask that you be with her and help her recover from the hurts from a recent car accident and allow her, God, to know when she's alone, you're always with her. God, we ask that you would be with our friends, Gerald and Frida Human, Frida able to return home from the rehab hospital this week. And God, we counted a miracle for the ways in which you have nursed her back to health. But God, would you be with her and Gerald as they're at home together and be God close by their side. God, we ask that you'd be with my good friend, James Shea. Again, watching at home, James with a significant test coming up on Tuesday. God, would you be close to our friend, James? And God, we pray for many others. I no doubt you have come into this room and know someone who needs prayer, perhaps someone with cancer. I'm going to be praying in these moments for Dennis Bratcher and his treatment. But whatever concern of someone that you love who you've brought into this room, could you offer that in prayer as Jeffrey plays on the piano now? We've prayed for those that we love. And now it's maybe a chance to pray for those who we struggle with. An enemy, an opposite, an irritant. You heard that in the message this morning. That God have grace even for our enemies. And so in these moments, could you take time to pray for someone who you struggle with? And if you're not quite there yet, you can pray to maybe want to pray that prayer someday. Now, Lord, I want to close in prayer, praying for some of our pastors. God, I ask that you would take care of Pastor Zach and Pastor Avarilla as they recover from an all-nighter last night, a teen lock-in. God, would you be with them and be with them at their activities later on this summer as they continue to lead our teens, our middle schoolers, and our high schoolers. God, I ask that you would bless our pastors back in the Cole Center, Pastor Mike Laughlin, as he continues to just do such, take such good care of the Cole Community Center is even serving as our online pastor now with those who are watching online. Would you, God, be with Kaylee Vaughn as she runs our neighborhood empowered? God, would you embody her in this ministry and all that they're doing this summer with our neighborhood kids? God, we ask that you would come alongside of Pastor Lisa as she prepares for kids camp later this week and, and, and the week after. 
God, would you come alongside of Pastor Lisa and the team that she's put together, sponsors, and for our kids as they prepare themselves and their hearts for camp just here in a few days. And God, we close in prayer before the Lord's Prayer, asking that you would love and care for Pastor John Minendorf. God, would you bring him back refreshed and renewed from this vacation with his family. God, we ask you to take care of his health, his body, his strength, his mind, his heart. And God, you'd prepare us to hear what Pastor John has for us when he returns. But God, we ask you would bless Pastor and his family and that God, he would know that you are with him every moment of his life. And now God, we ask that you would transform us grace upon grace, day by day, through this prayer that you taught your disciples to pray. Let's pray together, church. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.